This morning we're going to be in Genesis 41, starting in in verse 42 and ending in verse 57. Right, verse 42. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot. And they called out before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in marriage Asnath, the daughter of Prophethera, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven, year, seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of, the seven, of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, and put the food in the cities. He put in, in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph, Asnath, the daughter of Prophethera, priestess of On, born to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God had made, has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, and Joseph had said, as Joseph had said, there was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph, what he says to do, do, what he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt uh, to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. This passage, Tony, it's getting pretty rough when size 14 font still doesn't do it, and you need readers on top of that. My testimony is not like Moses. My eyes are growing dim day by day. This is part B of what Pastor Mark started, at least in this chapter of Joseph's narrative, and uh, what an impressive story the life of Joseph is in the Bible. You know, God measures success differently than how we are naturally inclined to measure success. Consider John the Baptist, right? I mean, here we have somebody who lived in the wilderness, developed a huge following where people left the town to come out to him. Many were baptized, even his enemies came. You know you got it rolling well when your enemies come out to check on you. Uh, the Pharisees came out to check in on what John the Baptist was doing. He even gets to baptize his cousin, the Messiah, shortly later after criticizing King Herod, he's found in jail. And he's sitting there in jail and he's wondering, okay, my cousin's here on the scene, the Messiah. He's certainly going to shake things up and get me out. And he doesn't. And 
And time goes on, and he sends out his disciples to come to Jesus. And you remember, they they come to him and says, hey, we're John the Baptist's disciples, and we have a message from him. He says, are you the Messiah, or should we look for another? And of course, Jesus answers that question very boldly, but John the Baptist never made it out of prison. He was beheaded in a gruesome fashion as the Bible records that story. But was John the Baptist's life successful in God's eyes? Consider Dr. William Leslie, a Canadian doctor, and his wife Clara, a nurse. In 1912, they went to the Congo DRC as missionaries. They cleared out an area of the Vanga forest, rainforest in the Congo DRC to be missionaries. They served there 17 years. They had a falling out with the local tribesmen. Uh, There were tribal areas there in the Congo DRC in the 1912 time period that still practiced cannibalism. They had a falling out and were sent home. They lived another nine years, or at least Dr. Leslie lived another nine years, and his testimony was, I'm not sure we made an impact at all in that area. We were failures there. Fast forward to the year 2010, Eric Ramsey, representing Tom Cox World Ministries, flew in by helicopter to a cleared spot in the same jungle. He did not know at the time, but that cleared spot was the mission outpost that the Leslies cleared almost 100 years ago. He went by canoe across the Quilu River, and he had researched this area, and he thought this was an unreached area. Nobody here has a witness a representation of Jesus Christ. And to his surprise, he found among the village a 1,000-seat stone cathedral, a church. And he began to talk to the locals and said, what happened here? And they said, well, about 100 years ago, there was a man. They knew him by one name, William. They knew he was Baptist. They knew he was a doctor. And once a month, he would cross that river in a canoe, and he would go among the, the, the uh, tribal villages in that part of the jungle, and he would teach them how to read and write. He would read the Bible to them and preach from them, share Bible stories to them, and he trained their children. And, they set, and from that, the first formalized education was set up in those tribes. Some of them became fluent in French. Congo DRC, if you'll remember, was a French colony. And the Bible's not translated into their tribal dialect, but some of them learned French and were able to communicate and read the Bible. And there are now eight, at that time in 2010, there were eight tribal churches in a 34-mile region. Was Dr. Leslie and his wife Clara's life successful in the eyes of God? Up until now, if we were measuring by human standards only, Joseph's life would have to be counted unsuccessful, even though we would pity him for the things that have happened to him. But now, with what we started last week and what we're finishing this week, Joseph's fortune turns dramatically. There are just two points today. First is God's good purposes prevail And the second one, our faithfulness to God produces fruitfulness to God. First, God's good purposes prevail. You know, Genesis is a case study or a proof case for what Paul wrote in Romans 8.28 that said that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. 
this book is a, is, a, is a proof of that. We see it in the life of Abraham, right? And all the things Abraham did. Remember the lies that Abraham and Sarah told? We've been through that about they're not married, they're brother and sister, trying to take things into their own hands to produce what God spoke to them uh, through Ishmael and so forth. We see it in Jacob, right? And his, his time with, with, with Laban and, and working for uh, Leah first, then Rachel, and then stealing his brother's Esau's birthright. And now we see it in the life of Joseph, right? And all these things are happening. It's a, it is proof of that verse and that reality. And I call it good because all of God's purposes are good. Because God's purposes are good and will triumph, He can always be trusted. Let's look at this flip the script moment that God gives in the life of Joseph. This is a hinge event because if you, if you look beforehand, you can just see all the unfortunate, the unharsh, the unjust things that happened to Joseph in his life. And now we see that there's tremendous prestige, that God elevates Joseph to a very prominent position. In fact, no descendant of Abraham had ever enjoyed such fame and authority to this point in time. Joseph's roughed up by his brothers, right? He's thrown into a pit. Then he's pulled up by those same brothers and he's sold to travelers, to traders for 20 shekels of silver. Then his brothers go home and they tell the rest of his family he's been killed. Including his father, Jacob, learns of that news, even though it wasn't true. Joseph, however, is providentially assigned into the house of of Potiphar, who's responsible for guarding the Pharaoh of Egypt. He's placed by God in the circle of the upper echelon of Egypt. Soon after that, he's falsely accused of sexual assault. And instead of being executed for that, God protects his life and he's simply imprisoned for multiple years. He went from being a slave alone in a foreign nation to a prisoner abandoned in a dark dungeon. Yet even while facing discouragement, Joseph seemed to continue to trust in God. God shared knowledge about the dreams uh, and insight about the dreams that two prisoners had so that Joseph could give give them interpretations of those dreams. And because one of the prisoners was placed back in the presence of Pharaoh, Joseph was brought into Pharaoh's presence to interpret a prophetic dream, a dream about future events that God had for him and the important world-saving role that Joseph was to play. So how amazing it is that God orchestrated so much in Joseph's life when it appears he was no more than a victim. Joseph appeared to be a victim of his family rejecting him and casting him away from their circle. He appeared to be a victim of false accusation on his moral character which landed him in prison. He appeared to be a victim of inexplicably being forgotten for the good favor that he carried with the cupbearer, and he was left alone two additional years in that dark prison. Yet God's purpose was to elevate Joseph into a position for being responsible to carry the entire world through a severe famine that was coming. 
Now, some of us, I know I have various times reading this story, we can pause to ask at this moment, well, why was God so determined to bring such a severe famine on the land? I mean, he could have called it off. But we see that God has good purposes even through this famine. And although we don't fully know the mind of God or see all of the pieces of the puzzle, we can see that as Peter later wrote in his letter, that we see that God through various trials, He uses those things to prove the genuineness of our own faith. We see that this famine specifically was used to physically move God's people to Egypt, which was a key purpose of God. And this also brought the whole world to hear about the God of Joseph and what He did to feed the world during this famine. Let's also note that God's good purposes often have varied patterns and methods. God did not choose to save this time through Levi's priestly line. He was going to do that later through Moses. He didn't choose this time to save through the line of Judah. That was coming later through our Messiah. He chose at this time to save through Joseph, who was a planner. He was a top-notch administrator. In today's terms, we call him a desk man or a paper pusher. Let's spend a moment contrasting Joseph and Moses' life to see the clear example of the variety that God's willing to use to bring about these purposes. Joseph, he began his life as a shepherd, living in a tent in the pastures that belonged to his father. And he ended up in the palace of Pharaoh. And he had all the prestige and, and prominence that came with that. Moses started out in the palace of Pharaoh and all of the enjoyment and the titles and prestige that came with being a child of the king or at least a child of the member of the king's family. And he walked away from those things. And he ended up living in a tent in the pasture of his father-in-law Jethro. Joseph started out in the land of Canaan And he was brought to the land of Egypt to eventually have the nation of Israel under his care. Moses started out in the land of Egypt and he was eventually brought to the land of Canaan while he had the nation of Israel under his care. Almost reverse order paths these two men had. But God used those things to accomplish his purposes. Joseph's path led to the saving of about 70 Israelites. Moses' path led to the saving of thousands. They each took different paths, but they also both endured tremendous suffering. We've just recalled Joseph's suffering. But Moses, as you remember, was a fugitive on the run for murdering an Egyptian. And he was lonely too, removed from his family and living in his own wilderness experience for extended time. And then he had to convince the king to relinquish power and wealth to let the Israelites go. What a tough task to go before a man and say, listen, I want you to become less wealthy and less powerful. You need to let my people go. Both men were very effective for God. Understanding this reality that God can make a way when there appears to be no way should elevate our confidence in God. He can be trusted to work through all situations to bring about the good that He wishes. The path can be hard, and sometimes it contains moments of deep pain, but glory is waiting. And our trust 
is important because God's good purposes are worked out through his servants. Our role is to be faithful. Well, some may say, okay, if God's going to do what he wants to do, then what does it matter what I do? Well, we have roles in accomplishing his purposes. Joseph had an important role in storing up an immeasurable amount of grain. I love that, the way it's described here in verse 49. It said that it was stored up in great abundance, like the sand of the sea, until it ceased to be able to be measured, right? Couldn't account for it. Moses had the role of boldly going before Pharaoh and asking for his people's release. We're not meant to sit in a corner or stand in a corner with our arms crossed and say, I'm just going to watch and see what God says and what God does. It'll be up to him. If he wants to do it, he can do it. We are participants in accomplishing his purposes. God receives glory when men follow God. When we say, this is the way, I'm going to walk in it, I'm going to follow it, even if I'm the only one. Your role and my role, as God accomplishes his purpose, is to be faithful. Which leads us to the final part. Our faithfulness to God produces fruitfulness for God. We see from the example of Joseph's life that no matter our circumstances, we can still be faithful to God. Joseph honored his father when he was a young man. He was obedient. He was willing to fulfill the requests of his fathers. He did a good job of watching the sheep and the other animals in the pasture. And then even in a foreign land among people who worshipped foreign gods, he remained devoted to the God of his fathers. He resisted the seductive advances of Potiphar's wife by instantly fleeing the scene. Remember, the evidence they probably had that buried him was the fact that he ran away in his garment. She, she was able to, to, to keep his outer garment right, and, and that remained. After unjustly suffering for multiple years in prison, he wasn't bitter towards God, but he instead immediately pointed Pharaoh and his entire court of magicians to the reality that God is the revealer and the interpreter of dreams. We looked at that last week. Not himself. And then being promoted to second in the kingdom and, giving, and being given an Egyptian wife, Joseph has two sons. So think about this. The rise in stature of Joseph is so swift and it's so total. I mean, immediately after interpreting the dream, Pharaoh gives him his signet ring. He gives him his his. his uh, royal robe. He puts the ring on his hand. He gives him a gold chain. All of these are status symbols of somebody in authority, of royalty. He, made, he, he, gave, he gave him his second chariot to ride in, and then, and then he calls out, everyone needs to bow the knee to this man. He was just in prison the day before. And then he changes his name. He gives him a name, and LB did a fine job of pronouncing that. I won't risk that at this time, but he, he, Joseph is, 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 be, is being sent through an Egyptianizing process, right? He is, he is being transferred into the Egyptian culture completely. Yet, 
when he's given an Egyptian wife and they have two children, he names them a Hebrew name. Think of the courage that must have taken. He gives them a Hebrew name. He still honors God through the naming of his sons. He calls the one Manasseh, which means God has made me forget all my hardship in all my father's house. Undoubtedly, this wasn't a complaint, but a praise for God's goodness to him. He was saying that the bad things that happened to me in my father's house, God has overcome them. My past with my family is not going to be a source of bitterness for me. He named his second son Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land where I experienced such affliction. Joseph hadn't lived as a free man in Egypt up to this point. He was both a slave and a prisoner, yet God gave him a tremendous platform to impact the entire world, and he remained faithful to his God. Also, many times adversity is the breeding ground that God uses to produce fruitfulness. Let me pause, and, 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 and if you're taking notes, this might be a good way to, to look at this. Instead of our faithfulness to God produces fruitfulness for God, which is true, God produces fruitfulness through us when we are faithful to God. Suffering and adversity humbles us to the point of drawing closer to God. Suffering breaks down our dependency on self-reliance and pushes us towards trusting God. We can see that with Joseph's life. Everything that Joseph endured only increased his confidence in God. Think about it. When Joseph was in prison... without having any justification for being imprisoned. I mean, you, you and I as readers, we get the luxury of knowing that, but you can understand why he was put in prison at the time. Um, but really, at that time, it was just Pharaoh's wife and Joseph knew the real story. We get the benefit of, of, of the record after the fact. But Joseph was placed in prison, and in Genesis chapter 39 right after it tells us that he was confined in prison, in the, in the king's prison, it says this, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor. My friends, that is God's testimony for us and with us in our suffering as well. That he is with us in our adversity. He's still loving us. He's still giving us favor even though it doesn't always feel that way, it is happening. And emerging from suffering puts us in a position to be fruitful. We know from the record that Paul wrote in Romans 5 that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and then from that character, God works out things from our character that's been building through this suffering and through our endurance to produce hope, purposeful hope in the lives of others. Also, using the talents and skills God has given us will lead us to
to fruitfulness for God. Joseph was faithful with the talents and the skills that God gave him. He understood how to organize things. He understood how to manage various tasks and responsibilities. This was a gift God gave him, and he exhibited it from a young age. From managing his father's livestock, livestock while growing up as a young boy. And then when he was placed in Potiphar's house, very quickly we hear that he was promoted in that house because Potiphar saw, and listen to how Scripture describes these, uh, Joseph working out his skill in his positions as a slave. Potiphar promoted him because he saw that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to succeed in his hands. What a testimony. Consequently, Potiphar put him in charge of all that he had to the point where it said Potiphar had no concern with anything that was under Joseph's charge. Then, the keeper of the prison, prison recognizes Joseph's diligence and skill in running things and put him in charge of all the prisoners. And, and the testimony that Scripture records says whatever was done there in the prison, he, Joseph, was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison it says, paid no attention to anything that was under Joseph's charge because it succeeded. What a testimony. What a, what a way to, to promote job security, right? To be the one that whatever's done, you're the one that does it. Young people, that's the type of work ethic that you need to exude. That, that this, Joseph had two bosses. And both of them had zero concern with anything that was put under Joseph's care because of the quality of his work. And now Pharaoh recognizes the same abilities in Joseph when he offered him a detailed plan to, in response to the dreams that God gave Pharaoh. Now sure, there could have been divine inspiration in Joseph's response and answering, but most likely Joseph was using the mind that God gave him wired to administrate to come up with a plan of, you need to set five people in charge of regional places. You need to build places to store grain. You need to take this. He, he saw that. This is a gift that God gave him. And then he carried it out during those seven years with such brilliant execution that when the people came panicked and crying to Pharaoh for help, Pharaoh calmly said, we've heard this before, go to Joseph. What he says you do. Joseph used the talents and the skills that God gave him with excellence. He was faithful with what God gave him his entire life. Faithfulness is always an outcome that God desires. There's never an appropriate time to stop being faithful. For us, that means both faithful in following after God and faithful in using the traits and the skills He's given us. We follow God's commandments. We follow our sense of God's leading. And when that sense doesn't match up with Scripture, we change course. Or when it's revealed that we went off course, then we have the heart to quickly correct ourselves. We also follow the unique disposition and specific talents and skills that God gave us. We should assume that if God gave us a heart of mercy, then He's going to place people in our lives that need compassion, our compassion that we can give them. We should assume that He's given us ability to construct things or an ability to make a warm and welcoming house or ability to cook things or ability to, to manage numbers. Then there's going to be ministry opportunities tied to those things. If He's given us ability to write songs or sing songs or even drum, hallelujah, then there's going to be ministry opportunities tied to those skills. 
Afi Ray's mother, Princess Ruby, was a member of this congregation about 20 years ago. And she had a ministry during her latter days in life of writing note cards or taking pictures and using them as postcards, okay, that she would send to people, encouragement notes, and so forth. So here's, here's an untested experiment. I hope it doesn't crash and burn. I know it probably won't. How many of you, by show of hands, were in this congregation when Princess Ruby was a ministry, or you had fellowship with Princess Ruby? Okay, it's about 20-some people. How many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you received a postcard, a homemade postcard from Princess Ruby, or a note with an envelope with stickers and her big, loopy, cursive handwriting on the outside of it? Almost every hand is still raised. And Jean Parrish, we see your hand in Southern Alamance. I know she probably sent you lots of cards as well. My college roommate in the late 90s, one of them, a dear friend, um, he had an a Italian Catholic grandmother. And as was the case of many church-going folks, um, not just Catholics, she was under the compulsion of constantly feeling like she needed to earn Jesus' love and favor and salvation, ultimately. And they'd had multiple conversations with her, and she's like, I'm on the right path, I'm okay. Princess Ruby had heard Mike talk about his grandmother and his burden for her salvation. And so um, we were talking, Mike and I were talking about this story just yesterday, um, and he was, I was making sure I had the details right. He said that twice a month she would send, him a, send his grandmother a note card from down here. She lived in Pennsylvania, just like the rest of us got, right? Stickers on it, note inside, God loves you. You're, you, you, you can be his child and so forth. Just encouragement notes. And at first she was just like, who is this lady sending me these letters? But her faithfulness in writing it, it, it softened her heart. And, and so Mike's family says that in her latter days, his grandmother's latter days, that, that she brought that back up in hospice care. And they were able to have a conversation that they feel led to a, like a deathbed conversion for her grandmother. And, and Princess Ruby's faithful writing from 500 miles away was, was what God used to soften this lady's heart and bring her into eternity. As we come to the end, let me clarify one important thing. And what I mean when I'm using the term fruitfulness, and it's in this passage as well. Fruitfulness is effectiveness for God. Fruitfulness is being used by God to accomplish His good purposes. We established that God is going to accomplish His purposes, and we are seeing that He uses His servants to do so. When we are used by God to accomplish His purposes, we are in the right spot, bearing fruit. Now understand that fruitfulness does not always mean prestige and prosperity. Joseph was produced was producing fruit for God while serving Potiphar and while serving the captain of the prison. He was also producing fruit by serving Pharaoh, and he also happened to gain enormous prestige and prosperity while serving him. But there's no promise that effectiveness for God leads to our prosperity or even notoriety here on earth. Remember Jonathan, King Saul's son, 
right? He, he was somebody who, in a different set of circumstances, would have been the heir to the kingdom of the Israelites. He was best friends with David, the man that he knew was going to take his rightful place. Well, he understood that David was the rightful person for the throne, but he, he became best friends and formed a covenant with somebody that was going to take his spot as king. He also faithfully served his father as a soldier in King Saul's army. He died with his dad on the battlefield. Never got a chance to see his best friend assume the throne, but he was effective for God. Consider the disciple James. This is even more extraordinary. Remember, James, John, and Peter got to witness and observe things that the other 12 didn't get, right? They, got to, they were there at the transfiguration on the mount. They were invited into Jairus' room to watch the resurrection that Jesus performed on Jairus' daughter, and the rest of the disciples did not get to see that. Okay? James' death is recorded in Acts chapter 12. He was beheaded for his witness to Christ afterwards. Just a few short years after the resurrection. We can sit here and say, Jesus, you did all these special things with James that some of the other disciples didn't get to enjoy. And he didn't get to, he didn't get to have the long testimony and witness that some of the other 12 enjoyed. He didn't get to live a long life but he was very effective for God. So what does all of this and this part specifically of Joseph's story mean for you and me? Let's have, first thing, let's have resolute confidence that God's good purposes will prevail even when things appear dark. No doubt, we know um, from the record of Scripture that Joseph had some discouragement in prison because remember when he interpreted the dreams for the cupbearer and said, you're going to get back to Pharaoh, what was he, what would he said? He said, only remember me. I don't belong in here. I didn't belong in the pit that my brother sold me out. Just remember. He had his sight set, just get me out of prison in that dark place. But he still had a confidence in God and his good purposes throughout. Secondly, being faithful to God's way and using the talents that God gives us will produce fruitfulness or effectiveness which pleases Him. We need to be faithful to the, using the skills and talents that God gave us. We need to understand that, that suffering many times or adversity is what God uses to produce fruit through us and inside of us. No matter our circumstances, it's always an appropriate time for us to be faithful to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your good purposes, Lord. Even during times when we don't understand them, um, Lord, we give You thanks for them. We know that You are working together things for our good in our lives because You love us, because we love You. May we trust in that, Lord. May we know that um, you're trustworthy and your good purposes are trustworthy. Lord, also use us, Lord. Help us not to sit on the sidelines and watch others or, or just expect you to do it. But Lord, 
may we embrace the roles that you have for us. That you will use us to produce fruit in our own lives and the lives of others. That's the, that's the way you've set it up. And we're thankful that we can be a part of it in small ways. We thank you, Lord, for this story of Joseph's life and what's yet to come. We see as we transition to, to now how he serves faithfully as a leader, where we've been viewing how he serves as a servant. May a confidence for you be worked inside of us that produces great fruitfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.